turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. As we did a couple of weeks ago, we're going to be reading several passages through Peter's first letter. And we will begin in chapter 1 and verse 3, and we'll just kind of work our way through reading snippets along the way. 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. Peter says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade that is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Skip down, if you would, to verse 13. Peter says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am. And holy. Then over to chapter 3 and verse 13. Peter says, Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result... He does not live the rest of his life, his earthly life, for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed. When his glory is revealed. When I was a teenager living in Hong Kong, occasionally we would have typhoons that would uh, come. Hong Kong's kind of an island nation, it's on the coast, and uh, I was privileged to spend a, a lot of time on the beach as a as a teenager, but actually one of my favorite things was when typhoons were on the way because uh, 
what that meant was that the surf was up and the waves were uh, were good. Hong Kong wasn't known for its waves like Hawaii is. Um, and so we had to have typhoons blowing before we could get some good waves. And my brother and I used to head head to the beach. And all of you, I'm sure, um, have had that experience when you start walking into the... My wife is looking at me strange like, <laughs> what? He's crazy. Well, she's been married to me 32 years. She should know that. We celebrated our, our 32nd anniversary, actually, on uh, September 3rd. So... Just a couple days ago. She's still here. But we've all had that experience where you walk into the water and the waves are rolling in. And if you're not careful, a wave can come and just knock you right off your feet, can it? And so uh, one of the things that you learn to do is to lean into them um, so that when they come... Uh, they don't knock you over and push you back. And to a large degree, that's kind of what this series of sermons that uh, Pastor Brian and I have been preaching over the last month or so has been about. It's about being prepared. We've talked a lot about the last days and the, tried to wrestle with the question, are these the last days? And um, as uh, you've heard me say before, I don't know, but certainly they are challenging days. And uh, certainly the last days are coming at some point, and we, we may indeed be approaching them. But whether they are or not, the message of Scripture is really clear and very firm. Scripture calls us not to look for signs and dates, but to be prepared regardless of the time. And so we've been preaching this series on being prepared and kind of a little uh, kind of sub uh, path we've been going on. And uh, this is the second of uh, what will end up being three sermons from, from P- Peter's first letter is this idea of bracing ourselves, bracing ourselves against the waves so that they don't knock us over. And to a large degree, as we know, there is a wave of change that is sweeping across our nation and really across our world. And some of that is good. I think it's a good thing that there is a renewed concern about racial equality. And I think all of us need to think about those things and Consider what does it mean to pursue justice on behalf of those um, who are on the fringes. But at the same time, there are some very troubling things that we see happening in our nation around us. We see um, that there is an increasing pace of moral collapse. We also see with that that there is a rise in what I sometimes call the thought police. (laughs) The idea that you have to think the right things and say the right things. And if you don't think the right things and say the right things, you're in trouble. And we as Christians have also noticed an increasing antagonism for Christian values and ideas. And we recognize there may be difficult days ahead. We don't know, but if things continue the way they are, probably there will be tough days ahead for Christians. 
And so we need to brace ourselves against the waves. And as we think about how to brace ourselves for the possibility of difficult days ahead, we've been looking at Peter's letter. And um, it's important that we do. You may have picked up on it just from the passages that we read. But really, the entire letter is written to people who are suffering persecution. I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. Um, During the very, very early years of Christianity... Um, the Romans saw that, uh, or, or at least understood, that Christianity and Judaism were basically the same religion, and they had given some freedoms and permissions to the Jewish people to exercise their faith in the way that they, uh, that they wanted to. But for the most part, Rome was pretty suspicious of uh, religions that didn't conform to the state religion. And once it became clear to Rome that uh, the Jews and the Christians really weren't on the same page, then the sights of Rome really narrowed in on Christianity and Christians began to suffer persecution. And so Peter is writing to people who are facing that. And as I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, Peter himself uh, lost his life as a result of the persecution that those early Christians faced. But He's writing to offer practical counsel to these early believers about how to stand firm in difficult days. How to stand firm when your faith is under attack and when you are under attack because of your faith. We looked at three of the things that Peter said last time, and if Just a quick review, he reminded us of our hope, which is what we read about at the beginning uh, of our reading this morning. We have a living hope because of the resurrection of Christ. And he also calls us to set our hope on our hope. That was the second thing. Not only do we have this hope, but now it's up to us as Christians to set our eyes on that hope so that Our hope is that hope. Instead of our hope for a better job or more money or a bigger house, that our hope is the hope that Christ has earned for us and won for us by his death and resurrection. The third thing that um, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that Peter encourages us to do is to prepare our minds for action. He recognizes that um, how we live and who we ultimately become begins in our minds, what we give our attention to, what we make the diet of our minds, so to speak. So those are the three things that Peter um, um, talks about that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. And today I want to look at two more things that Peter says to those early believers that can be helpful to us as well. The first thing he says is, set your hearts, um, or in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. That's the first thing. The second thing that we'll be talking about this morning is Peter's call to those early believers that they be prepared for suffering. Isn't this just going to be fun? So in chapter 3 and verse 13, 
Peter says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Another translation could be, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Have you ever had the experience that uh, is similar to the one that I have quite frequently, actually, where you're driving down the highway and you go over the crest of a hill and all of a sudden you see the blue nose of a vehicle sticking out from behind an overpass? <laughs> that ever happened to you? And it's funny what we do, right? We don't slam on the brakes because that would be a big tell, right? You kind of slowly knock off the cruise and slowly back off and look as innocent as you can as you pass by. And then, of course, your attention is on the rearview mirror uh, for about a half a mile after that to see if they're pulling out. That never happens to you, right? We feel that heartbeat go and that rush of anxiety, but there is actually a cure for that. You know what it is? Drive the speed limit. Boy, that's a tough one. There is a general principle that Peter recognizes, and that is that most of the time, If you do the right thing, you'll be okay. Most of the time, if you do the right thing, you'll be okay. Peter reminds his readers that he says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But he also recognizes that that principle doesn't always work. And that many of the people that he was writing to were in fact in trouble, even though they hadn't done anything wrong. The fact is, and this is just the way of the world, the fact is that if everything around you is upside down, then even though you're right side up, you are going to look upside down. Um, I think there's an exhibit at the Henry Ford Museum that does that, right? You look into this thing and the whole room is upside down and all of a sudden you, you start to feel disoriented because even though you're right side up, you feel like you're upside down in that room. And that's the way the world can be. There are times when the culture around us can become so disoriented that falsehood seems true and evil is mistaken for good, and good is mistaken for evil. And a person can actually find themselves in trouble for doing the right thing, because the right thing looks like the wrong thing in a world that's upside down. Anybody notice that happening around sometimes? So how do we prepare for that? How do we prepare for a day when we could be thrown into prison, or worse, for doing the right thing? In this upside-down world, you can't always rely on the principle 
that if you do the right thing, you'll be okay. But, Peter says, there is another principle that we can always rely on. And that is, this is the principle, if we fear God, we will never have to fear men. If we fear God, we'll never have to fear men. Peter says, do not fear what they fear. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Because if we honor and revere him as holy, and if we recognize his authority, then we truly have nothing to fear. Reminds me of uh, what Jesus said, and perhaps Peter was thinking of this when he wrote these words Um Uh, In this letter, what Jesus said in Matthew 10 and verse 28, when Jesus says, don't fear those who can kill the body, but fear the one who holds your soul in his hands. The problem is that in this upside-down world, we can get disoriented if we're not careful. And we can find ourselves fearing men and not fearing God. And that's why Peter emphasizes the importance of intentionality. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. It's not something that comes naturally. It's something we have to pay attention to, that we set apart Christ as Lord. And what... Peter says here is actually a quote that's adapted from the Old Testament, from the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 8. And Isaiah was writing to uh, the people of Israel, and the people of Israel had uh, fallen into that same trap that can also be a trap for us. They had gotten turned upside down by the world. And they no longer feared God as holy, and they no longer obeyed him. In their prosperity, they had grown complacent in their faith, assuming that they could give God lip service while their hearts were really focused on other things. But God was about to give them a wake-up call. The Assyrians were at the door and they were preparing to invade the nation of Israel. And Isaiah talks about um, that impending invasion as a wake-up call for the people of Israel, as God's judgment for their lack of concern, for the fact that they did not fear him. And the Assyrians, actually, if you, uh, I'm sure some of you are familiar with their tactics. They had some pretty ruthless tactics. They would come in and conquer a city, and they would take all the warriors, and they would impale them on stakes and post them up on the walls of the city in order to remind the people, this is going to happen to you, and to remind the city next down the road, if you resist us, this is going to happen to you. That would be pretty scary, wouldn't it, if you drove down Long Lake Road and you got to the corner and you saw a bunch of guys impaled on stakes? 
They were afraid because of what was about to happen. And this is what God actually says to Isaiah. Listen to this. The Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people, not to follow the people of Israel. He said, do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. See the quote from Peter? Do not fear what they fear. The Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And then he says this, and he will be a sanctuary. He will be a safe place. The point is, what God is saying to Isaiah is, don't be like them. They didn't fear me. They failed to regard me as holy when things were going well. And now that trouble is coming, they have no place to turn. And they are overwhelmed by fear. Not fear of me, but fear of men. But if they had honored me, if they had set me apart in their hearts as holy... They would have nothing to fear because I would be their sanctuary. I would be their refuge. But because they did not honor me, now they have no refuge. And Peter is challenging us not to make the same mistake that they made. It's easy to get disoriented in an upside-down world. Do you sense that? Do you struggle with that? That it's easy to get disoriented? It's easy to become complacent and casual toward God because everything seems to be going fine. Whether we are obedient or not obedient, we still prosper, we still have a good life, and life is easy and good. It's easy to become complacent. But what Peter is saying is, now is the time to fear the Lord when things are going well. Now is the time to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts, to honor Him as holy and to commit ourselves to being holy so that we are set apart to Him alone and not trying to juggle love for Him and love for the world at the, th- at the same time. Because you can't do it. Remember what Jesus said? You can't serve two masters. It's got to be one or the other. So how do we brace ourselves for the day of evil? How do we prepare for the day when we may find ourselves in trouble? For doing the right thing, Peter says, set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts today. Fear the Lord today so that when the day of evil comes, you will have nothing to fear because the Lord will be 
your refuge. The second piece of advice that I want to notice today that Peter gives to his uh, readers is that we need to be prepared to suffer. In chapter 4 and verse 12, Peter says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. As Americans, we have been incredibly blessed that we have not had to suffer persecution for our faith in Christ. That is a tremendous blessing. But the blessing that we enjoy of being able to worship God freely is the exception, not the rule. Jesus was clear that those who follow him as his disciples would find themselves at odds with the world in one way or another. They would be misunderstood. They would be persecuted. They would be beaten and imprisoned. They would lose their livelihoods and forfeit their possessions and even lose their lives. And indeed, for many Christians through the ages and many Christians around the world today, that is their experience. In chapter 2 and verse 21, Peter says, As believers, we have been called to suffering. We have been called to suffering because Christ suffered for us and left us an example of endurance through suffering. The implication is that if we're going to be his disciples, we will find ourselves walking the road of suffering after him. And Jesus points that out, right? He, he, wrote, he tells his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. And I'm going to suffer and die. And you are my followers. Put two and two together. If you're going to follow me, you also are going to suffer. So pick up your cross. Deny yourself. And follow me. So Peter says, when you find yourself suffering for your faith in Christ, don't be surprised. As though something unusual were happening. Rather, we should expect it. We should be ready for it. Because it is the way marked out for us. So how do you prepare to suffer? Can we prepare for that day? Praise God, it's not here yet. But can we prepare for that day? It's interesting, uh, a number of years ago I read a book entitled The Heavenly Man by a Chinese author named Brother Yoon. Have any of you heard of that book? And uh, he talks about seminary training in China. And it's interesting that in China, seminary training includes not only teaching the Bible and theology, but they also teach people how to jump out of windows how to do survival skills, how to live off the land, and how to endure interrogation and torture because they're living in the midst of it. So how do we prepare? The first thing that 
I would suggest, and that Peter really says, is that we need to get suffering into perspective. In Western culture, we assume that all pain is bad. It's a waste of time, and it is something to be gotten rid of as soon as we possibly can. And all of our medicine cabinets are full of remedies to help us get rid of our pain as soon as we can. And some of those cause more problems than they solve. But the fact that suffering is painful, and this is where I think Scripture diverges with the way that we think, the fact that suffering is painful doesn't make it worthless and empty. It doesn't make it wasted time. On the contrary, Scripture is very clear that God can use our suffering to produce great good in our lives. And through the course of Peter's letter, he points out several things that suffering produces. Not only the suffering of persecution, but the kinds of suffering that we face um, through all the kinds of circumstances that we face in life. He says in chapter 4, in verse 13, he says it is a privilege to share in the suffering of Christ. As I said, Christ walked the road of suffering. So if we are suffering, especially if we are suffering because of our association with him, then we can be pretty confident that we are on the right road. That's a good thing, right? It assures us that we're headed in the right direction. be nice if we got pats on the back instead. But our suffering assures us that we are indeed following after Christ because he walked the path of suffering. And as we follow him along the road of suffering, we actually discover in a personal way how much he loves us. You might think, how can that be? Our tendency is that suffering causes us to question God's love for us, doesn't it? Do you find that, that when we suffer, when we're going through difficult times, we're inclined to question his love for us? So how is it that suffering can confirm his love? It's one thing, and this is the thing, it's one thing to know that he loves us because we've read John 3.16. God so loved the world. We can get it into our heads. God loves us. But it's another thing to know that he loves us because we've experienced firsthand what it cost him to love us. So when we are rejected, he was rejected for us. When we are ridiculed, he was ridiculed for us. When we're accused of being evil, he was accused of being evil for us. When we experience loss, he experienced loss. When we're beaten, he was beaten. And he did it all willingly, 
all the way to surrendering himself to the unimaginable suffering of the cross. And he did it for us. That was the price that he paid to love us. So our suffering should not cause us to question God's love for us. It should actually enable us to see his love more clearly. In chapter 1, in verse 7, Peter adds another aspect of the benefit that suffering can produce in us. He says, these sufferings have come so that your faith may be proved genuine. Suffering has a purifying effect. For one thing, it purifies the church. Those who truly have not set apart Christ as Lord are not going to endure the kind of suffering that it takes to continue to follow him when things get hard. But it also purifies us personally. It helps us to clarify whether we're really committed or not. It calls us to evaluate what's really important and to think about, well, what do I really need in this life? Well, I need a cold house. That's my wife. She needs a cold house. And a hot shower and a good meal and a nice car and that ATV and, and, and. Right? Isn't that kind of how it goes? Suffering calls us to clarify that. What do we really need? Everything else Get stripped away so that all we have is Him. And if our goal is that Christ alone should possess our hearts, then perhaps we should welcome suffering because it strips away all the other things that we're inclined to give our affections to so that all that we're left with is him. And Peter Peter affirms that idea in chapter 4 and verse 1 when he says, he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. It clarifies what's important. And if that's the case, then maybe it's actually prosperity and not suffering that is the greater trial. I was struck by that thought when... Sharon and I, as we are reading our way through a devotional by, um, by Charles Spurgeon, um, he mentioned this, he, he, he talked about the fiery trial of prosperity. You ever thought about that? The fiery trial of prosperity? Because if the things that we have and the pleasures we enjoy keep us from him, then indeed they are a fiery trial. And God help us to release them or take them away. Because as Jesus says, it's better to enter the kingdom of heaven with one eye or one hand. It's better to enter a pauper or bruised and broken than not to enter at all. 
parable of the man who found the treasure in the field and was willing to give everything in order to have it. Suffering calls us to really reckon with that. Are we prepared to give everything? Because what we value is worth far more than all of that. Another way I think that we can prepare for suffering is not just to get it in perspective, but also to practice now in times of comfort and prosperity to learn to practice the discipline of self-discipline, self-sacrifice, and self-denial. That's a tough one for us, I think, because we live in a culture We live in a your way right away culture, right? You have what you want when you want it. And self-indulgence is glorified. You deserve it. You deserve to indulge yourself. Every day is a holiday. So eat a big steak. Self-indulgence is encouraged and celebrated. And because of that, because we're so accustomed to self-indulgence, it makes it all that more important for us to learn the discipline of self-sacrifice and self-denial. Because if we're so accustomed to satisfying our appetites whenever we want to, and we feel like we can't live without the things that we indulge ourselves with, then we're going to find it difficult to stand when we have to choose between our appetites Christ. And that day could come, right? I'm not just totally off. I'm not making no sense at all. Yeah. Those are the challenges that we face. Another way I think that we can prepare ourselves for suffering is to learn from the example of those who have endured through suffering. I've thought about that, especially this week, as the Ochoa family has experienced another loss, another trial. As I sat with um, Fran and Larry um, during the week, during their suffering at the unexpected loss of their son, Chris, on the day that he was... They were expecting him to come home from the hospital that day. That morning they got the word that he had passed away. Larry said, and this is, this is typical Larry, right? Um, the first part at least. He said, um, I've always looked at the hard things that we've had to endure. And those of you who know the Achoas know that it's been a long, lifetime of enduring hard things said, I've always looked at those things as bumps in the road. But losing my son is like hitting a brick wall at 100 miles an hour. That's not a bump in the road. And I understand that. And yet as we talked and as I have thought about, Lord, why? How How much can a family endure? And yet I really believe that in some way, I don't think God imposes that kind of suffering on people, but he uses it. And they are a gift to 
God's people. Because they are an example of faithfulness in the midst of trial. We have much to learn from them about how to endure in the deepest pain and agony that doesn't seem to stop. And yet, they endure. So we have much to learn from those who God has called to walk that way of suffering, not only as Christ walked the way of suffering as an example, but our brothers and sisters who also walk the way of suffering as examples to teach us and help us when we face those kinds of trials. Well, these aren't exactly what I would call uplifting and inspiring sermons. I recognize that. They're not easy to prepare. And I'm sure they're not easy to listen to. They're hard things. They're sobering things. But I believe they're necessary things. Things that we need to wrestle with. Things we need to think about. So that we are prepared to face whatever we might face. And as we've talked about in weeks past, Jesus doesn't say, this is going to come. You know, the thief is arriving at 3 so that you can wake up at 2.45 and be prepared. He is saying, be prepared. You don't know when the thief is going to come. Whether we face hard days in our near future or whether we don't, these things are still relevant to us. We need to be prepared. We need to set apart Christ in our hearts as Lord. And we need to be clear. What do we really value? What's important? What do we need?